0: You are listening to The Essentials Podcast, episode number 7, recorded live July 15th, 2013.
1: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to The Essentials Live. It's Monday, July 15th. We're really pumped to have you with us tonight. It's a great day. Been a little warm out the last couple of days. Hope you're uh, resting this evening well. After a long, good day start to your week, I'm joined this evening on my left by Paul Anderson. And I'm joined on my right by Dirk Hackett. Alright, we are really glad you joined us here this evening. Who are you? And uh, I'm Rich. I'm going <laughs> to have some, woo! We're so excited to jump into content tonight, I forgot name and all of that good stuff. Um, so, but tonight there are, uh, as usual, we've got a prize, and... Um, i got to shut my sound off on my laptop here. Tonight's prize is one of the best books, I think. A very well-written book on a topic, actually, that we're talking about tonight, Life After Death, a book called Heaven by Randy Elkhorn. We're giving a book called Heaven Away tonight by Randy Elkhorn. It's a very thorough uh, book covering the teaching of Scripture regarding heaven. And so um, those who appear in the chat room tonight, um, signing with a name or an alias, you will be put in the drawing for this book, and it'll be delivered in two days. Hopefully last week, Roger, if you're listening tonight, hopefully, Roger, you received your book. If you didn't, let me know. Uh, But you should have received your book from last week's winnings. Next week, just a little bit of a tip. Next week, there is one book that I'm really looking forward to giving away. It's back here. Hold on a second. A little book. This is special. 101 questions (laughs) to ask before you get engaged. 101 questions to ask before you get engaged. You're not going to want to miss a chance to win this book, folks. (laughs) Maybe you know someone that's maybe on the verge of getting engaged. Maybe you yourself might be on the verge of getting engaged. You've written answers in there. (laughs) Anybody's eligible to win this book. Even the people on the set. Not me. Thing, But anybody's anybody's eligible to win. (laughs) Take advantage of this opportunity next week. uh, But tonight we're giving away the Heaven book. And uh, we're wide open to any questions tonight about life after death. Paul's got some questions to get us started tonight, but we'll go any direction you want us to go. If any questions or comments you have about life after death, but Paul will get us started, and he'll direct our conversation throughout the evening. We're pumped to have you with us, and uh, sign in over on the right side of your screen to the chat. All
0: right. Thanks, Rich. Um, I just want to reiterate that there is hundred different directions we could go here tonight. So we're wide open to to feedback, input, questions from the chat. So um, throw something at us and we will go that route. Um, let's get going here. Um, we hear about the judgment seat and that at some point in time when Christ returns, we'll be before God in his judgment seat. Um, the question I have for you to get us started mm-hmm. is, why are we giving an account to God at the judgment seat when God knows everything? What can we tell him that he doesn't
2: know already? Anyone well, <laughs> well I mean I think that's a powerful question. Um, we probably have to get to answer that question we probably have to get back to a little bit of the question of why a judgment seat at all sort of the basic question of of why, what, what are we being judged for? Like, why is there even a judgment seat to be had? And, and I think it's important to, to remember that we are fallen. And so in, in, in order that we are fallen, that means we have, we're away from somewhere. We're away from perfection. And so we're going to be judged based on that fallenness. And so if God, who is just, in order to um, consider to, or to stay within his characteristics, has to have a judgment seat, because if there was no judgment seat, then God in Himself it would be a problem with His characteristics, and, and He really wouldn't be yeah, just. Yeah, really, the
1: judgment seat is the um, bringing about the final justice. Yes, that's God um, really bringing about the final justice in the sense of uh, delivering to humanity what they um, should receive. And the beauty of it is, is that we don't get what we should receive, thing, mm-hmm. but because of God's mercy, uh, we stand at the judgment seat and are able to plead. Um, we're willing to plead God have mercy upon me I'm pleading Jesus tonight that's the verdict that uh, that's the plea that we're making is Jesus so that we hear the verdict not guilty Mm -hmm. but the judgment seats a complicated uh, thing that even after the fact of becoming a follower of Jesus we still stand at the at the judgment seat and uh, a lot of people don't think about that that even as a follower of Christ we're still going to stand before the judgment seat uh, someday there's some complicated scriptures about that and First um, Corinthians, I believe, First Corinthians chapter three, I want to say, um, that talk about standing and giving account, and also Second Corinthians chapter four, I believe, has or Second Corinthians chapter five, 5 verse ten, 10 yep. has a passage about standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And so we do know that we're going to have to give an account and and um, and tell tell God how we've been
0: been faithful, and ultimately we plead Christ. I'm just going to ask you to. Go a little bit further with that. How do, how do we know what we're supposed to say? And I don't mean to make that really even a humorous question. I think some people are thinking that when I get in front of this Almighty God, I mean in His presence is going to be overwhelming, incredible. What what's little old me supposed to say to Him, as far as giving me account? Am I supposed to be naming off things that I've done? Am I supposed to say how much I've loved Him? Well, we don't really have any
1: information of how the the judgment seat um the setup in a sense works you can look at it more as this is the judgment seat is where god is delivering judgment you may nay say nothing god may just be revealing to you um um what he he knows everything god is just going to making revelation and bringing about his justice at that at that moment and asking you to give an account and uh we don't know what that is it'd be hard to get into specifics of what that looks like
2: um besides the fact that we uh, are going to stand before it. Yeah, and, and part of it, too, is I think it's, it's a little bit of a, an, an imagery in our mind, too, of, of the day in which God's wrath will come on that day. And 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 it's really sort of an, it, it, an understanding of where I stand before that wrath comes. And, and to understand that, I think Richard hit it right on it. I, I just don't think we know that we're going to be going through a list of things that we have done or not done, mm-hmm. especially if you are under you know, you're submitted to Christ and you're obedient to Christ. I mean, I would, he's the one who, who's really going to be seen by God at that moment when the wrath comes, and I think it's important to remember that too, as well as we think about this as followers of Christ.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I think uh, we got a good question coming up in the chat room. I think that's relevant to what we're discussing. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy in the chat room says, if we are forgiven and our sins are forgotten as far as the east is from the west, um, isn't this a contradiction? Yeah,
1: if we look at the judgment seat in the sense of salvation sometimes we only think of just my ticket to heaven versus an account of how we lived as a follower of Christ our salvation is secure in Jesus thing yet there does seem to be this mystery a little bit of second Corinthians 510 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ um, and then a couple of other places where we stand before the judgment seat of Christ first um, Corinthians chapter 3 this um, I believe is what it is yeah first Corinthians chapter 3 this concept of um we're kind of the stuff that didn't really mean anything is being burned away, and some of us barely get in, but that's a complicated deal, but yeah well, from the face value, it looks like well if we're forgiven well what's there what's there to do and that 's why the focus is on we say christ he's he's who we're holding to yet um salvation is more than just a ticket into heaven it 's about our whole faithfulness a stewardship. as as God's uh, people and we don't exactly know what that means does that mean we have some rewards waiting for certain people afterwards Uh, don't know the answer to that but good good question it is hard to understand from our perspective of once we we know that we're forgiven God has forgotten that he doesn't treat us according to our iniquities or according to our wrongdoing Um, so it does seem like a contradiction.
2: I think it would be interesting to look at to look at the context of that verse a little bit too and, and think about it are we looking at how God then sees me as the future tense, as in I then will be justified, or if it's in the present tense, or at the judgment seat, I, I just think that's interesting to think about, is how, you know, if we if we are to be seen, you know, there's sort of this, like we talked about last week, the kingdom's here and not yet, so part of it is that my forgive, my sins are forgiven here and now, but part of it is too is that God sees me to be justified, and that is why my sins are forgiven, not that... I will not that when I have to give an account for my actions are just disappeared. So I don't. I think there's a there's an interesting dance there that I'm not sure how it all works out in the end. Mm-hmm. How about? Um, let's see. If we have a
0: question from Wanda here. We'll get to that in just one second. I want to ask you one more thing about. Um, we read that in heaven will each will be given a reward. Um, there's this there's this picture that people will be rewarded differently in heaven can you, can you give it a, a quick thought on that to to me when i hear that it, it means well does that mean that that some people were just better in this life and that that way they'll be rewarded more in heaven which leads me to kind of this next step of, of more of a, a works based type of thing which means somebody did more works in this life therefore they're rewarded, rewarded more in heaven is that, do you have any thoughts on that, what that might mean to have a different, if your reward is different than mine in heaven?
1: Yeah, um, that's even a more hard, difficult one to think about. There are some spots in scripture where you see Jesus seeking to motivate present day behavior through the promise of eternal rewards. Right. So one of my thoughts is is that I have a hard time believing that Jesus is holding out this false carrot <laughs> To get us mm-hmm. to get us to get us to do something here, but one way of looking at this from a different perspective is that our re- your reward. I've heard this stuff by an author. Can't remember the author's name, but mm-hmm. he talks about your reward when you're engaged. We're kind of on the theme of engagement. <laughs> oh boy! Your, your your reward while you're engaged is at the end your spouse. That's that's who you get. That's mm-hmm. that's where everything's brought into perfection and completion and. Um, same thing here on Earth is that there's some rewards waiting for us, but when we have that ultimate reward of Christ, it ultimately changes our complete perspective of how we look at look at everything else. But one of the things about the next life that we see is that the next life is this physical universe that we're going to be living in, some sort of physical universe, and who knows somebody might have forty acres there, someone might have eighty acres someone might have we don't know exactly what that would be, but our perspective is going to be changed in a way that maybe we don't see that as unfair. But we see that as the way God has set things up. Again, I'm I'm speculating a lot here. I'm speculating pretty much on almost all of those, on almost all of those things. But there is some things that Jesus does say that point to that that
2: makes it a difficult thing. Yeah, I think uh, I think if you look at the book, um, the book on page uh, 266, uh, Packard lays that out a little bit and talks about this concept is that where God rewards our works, and he talks about crowning his own gifts, and then he uses the marriage analogy as well, and I that's I sort of read through that. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in, it's in the book, in the reference, and, and I think that's very interesting. So if you want to learn more details about that, take the reference book, take a little read of that paragraph, I think Packer lays that out. Yeah, we're talking, we're talking about little... J.I.
1: Packer's Concise Theology book right now, that we have been studying, mm-hmm. Concise Theology by J.I. Packer. We've got a variety of questions coming
0: in right now in the chat. Let's turn yeah. there. Yeah, uh, this is, um, we're kind of talking about having a little bit already, and now we're getting into some more specifics we got three comments here that are all kind of revolving around the same concept and that is, part of it's kind of like the reality of heaven, what's going on in heaven, whether it's when we are there, what will our reality be? Um, Some of these questions are pertaining to kind of the current reality for those that have already died and are in heaven now. What's their relation to us, Uh, for instance, loved ones, friends, family that are there now? um, How Aware are they of what's going on here? Are they watching every move we make? Are they actually intervening on our behalf? That type of thing. Yeah, Let's we don't talk about that a little bit.
1: I want to rephrase things. We talk about loved ones that are currently in heaven, and are they aware of things that are going on here on earth? Um, one thing I want to phrase is here is that the Bible teaches us that there is a present heaven. That's where Jesus currently was. It has ascended to and seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where I believe that Scripture teaches us those who currently pass away in Christ, those those go and rest in happiness. So they are disembodied at the moment. Their souls are resting in the presence of Christ. Outside of resting in the presence of Christ, we do not know um, what they know. There's some interesting verses. I'd point you to Revelation chapter 6. I believe it's Revelation 6, 9 through 11. That kind of gives this picture um, a little bit of what's going on. I might have the wrong verses there. I'm sorry. Revelation I put those in the chat I'm gonna have to find that uh, what exact verses those are but uh, there's some interesting verses in Revelation that talk about the current the current heaven and um, give us some give us a little bit of a glimpse of what's going on there but I'm going to look for those verses but and again I'm not trying to cop out here at all but we don't know a lot from Scripture about what's going on in the present heaven there's a couple of scripture passages that talk about being in the presence of Christ but outside of that we don't know what's happening with that soul as it rests in the presence of Christ. Some people, and this is an argument some make from Scripture, and that is that they're asleep in Christ. And it's kind of like when we go to sleep at night. Sometimes mm-hmm. you go to sleep, all of a sudden you wake up, it's morning, and you're like, why do you know what happens? Mm-hmm. So some people believe that when you die, you go to sleep in Christ, and then all of a sudden, it's the resurrection. So mm-hmm. you don't really even notice that lapse in time. Right. i got to find those passages from Revelation. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I put the wrong ones in. Go ahead.
0: Well, um, this is a thought I had I don't, um, we know that that God uses angels for his purposes. We talked about that last week um, so I don't know are angels in a different state right now would you say because when we look at angels, we see them being actively used by God to in you know to intervene we don't again we don't know exactly how, but being God is using them for his purposes um so if angels exist to some extent in the same realm of heaven right now that that those have, that have died do you know it's possible that <laughs> that they have some active role like that again
2: i'm just gonna go yeah, back don't. to what you said we don't know
0: we don't know but
2: yeah i think i think one thing one thing to clarify on that too is and it's like what packer was talking about his angel section is angels are beings that can be in the, in the physical presence and they can physically interact, and they're in some other place. Now, where that other place is, and whether that's the present heaven that speaks about in Revelation, I'm not sure. But one thing I think we need to be clear about is is I think that that angels themselves can interact in the physical world, but I think that you can't make a case from Scripture that people who have passed away in this present heaven, that this present Mm -hmm. heaven is somehow here with us. Um, One of the questions was, do they know about the good and bad? You know, is my mother, you know, sitting on my shoulder sort of thing? Mm-hmm. I just don't think you can make that argument from Scripture. And I actually would argue that Scripture says the totally opposite of that. that these, That these people who are passed away are with Christ Jesus not here with Christ Jesus or here with us. And I think that there's a distinction to be made there as well.
1: I did put down to the right verses there from Revelation 6, <laughs> 9 through 11. I'm sorry, I'm confused here. I'm looking at multiple passages. <laughs> actually, Roman, Revelation 6, 9 through 11, you do get this vision of what's going on right now in, in the present heaven. They get this vision. And it's very interesting that what's said here. And so it's talking about some martyrs that are in the present heaven. They've already passed away and it says this to them. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be con- killed as they themselves had been. And so here you have this vision of the present heaven. The martyrs are told to continue to rest until they're joined by the future martyrs and other family of God. And so that was one spot where we get this indication that they're just resting in the presence of God. Uh, We don't know if they're aware of what's going on in earth. We know that they're probably... There's nothing in scripture that says they're active in the world today as angels are active in the world today. I want to jump back up to Stephen Shannon's question about is there no sorrow in heaven? Will we we be aware of family that aren't there? One would think this would definitely cause sorrow. Mm -hmm. I'm going to assume for a second that maybe what Stephen Shannon are asking about is the eternal heaven. That's the place where we'll be in our resurrected bodies in a resurrected universe that I hear a lot of people asking this, that if we know one another at that time, won't we also know those who are gone, so therefore causing us sorrow? And that's a great question. There's not a clear answer to that. Outside of, again, I'm going to go back to, it all depends on your perspective. We're going to have a whole new perspective in, in that in that time and in that space, our understanding of what's going on. Right now, from our current perspective, I can't really imagine it, but there, the one promise that we do see, there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. So we don't know exactly how that works out, but there's that change of perspective somehow. So we may know that someone's not there, but we
2: don't know exactly how that is that God
1: still removes that pain.
2: Yeah, and I think in, I think if you look at Revelation 21, when it does talk about the new heaven and the new earth, that new perspective is really key that we, when we are resurrected, and, and maybe we're getting to this a little later, I don't know what the, what the order of service is, but we will have... 2.0 bodies, and we will have an understanding of that of Christ. And I think that that understanding of how things are could really clear up a lot of things that we today struggle and worry and strife and, and care a lot about. I, I believe if we had the understanding of the creator of the world that it would be pretty clear that when we're in this new heaven and this new earth and it's all perfected and rede- and redeemed, that we will have a new understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like we'll be existing in this just completely new awareness that
0: we just don't have right now so to even speculate is difficult um so i'm gonna um we can continue to talk about that if if more people want to submit questions uh we'll jump back into that i want to go back a little bit because you're quoting from revelation rich um revelation is kind of this a little weird kind of crazy book um it spends the most time of, of any book of course talking about what heaven will be like, what the afterlife looks like. I want to ask you because we could of course spend hours talking about revelation and breaking it down. I want to ask you or Derek can can you give us can you give us kind of a a concise takeaway from the book of Revelation as far as how it can be helpful to us in understanding the, the eternity to come or the life to come without getting bogged yeah. down in all these details.
1: The biggest thing in, when reading Revelation is to remember that it has a specific purpose in the sense that it was meant to give hope, to give this message of courage, because it was written to people that were undergoing persecution and they were living in eager anticipation for the return of Jesus. So it's not written as this code book that was supposed to be tried to somehow be unlocked. And if the code book could get unlocked... And then all of a sudden something amazing would happen. It was written for the at that time in which it was written as a clear word of encouragement, as a clear word of uh, exhortation, of warning, all those things to give people in that circumstance uh, a word of what is coming and then to live in light of that um, truth that's taking place. One of the things that we struggle with Revelation so much is I've heard it said, and also if you spend time in Revelation, you'll notice this quickly. Almost all of the imagery used in Revelation points back to imagery in the other parts of the Bible, especially the Old Mm -hmm. Testament and other parts. One of the reasons we struggle with reading Revelation so much is that we don't know the rest of God's Word well enough, that it's using some imagery that we need to connect back with of the original prophecies in the Old Testament or in different parts of the New Testament. Um, But again, where I would say a couple things, when reading the book of Revelation is where it... um, where it says it's an image for something, then it's obviously an image and it's not a literal thing. And then there's other parts where um, what it's saying and what it's teaching is exactly what it what it means.
2: Yeah, I think that's important because, like we've been talking about a lot, these essentials sort of tie all together. And, and that sort of brings us back to the biblical interpretation is that it truly is meant to the readers of this letter to be clear. I mean... They weren't writing this letter to somebody to to try to trick them. And I think that's something that culture today ascribes to the book of Revelation is mystery, trickery, non-understanding. Where I think that if you truly dig in and and, and start to understand the imagery used, the, the text used, and the words used, you can clearly go back to lots of different sources, including the Old Testament, including... Um, lots of cultural references at the time that would have been very clear to the author, and, and I think that plays out in our understanding. And, and if we truly want to want to get a clear picture of it, then we need to put the work in. And, and that's part of it. And I think a lot of people in culture today, especially when we're talking about the afterlife and what's to come, take two or three scripture verses right out of Revelation, and they just say, "Here it is." When when really, you know, it, just like we've talked about every week. It might take a lot of work to understand a very short amount of text in the book of Revelation, but it's important that we put the time in to understand that. Mm-hmm. Do you know any resources that would be good if people had questions on that? Well, the best thing to do is to
1: pick up um, a couple of commentaries by uh, by people, and it may seem like it's academic, but that's the best way to go about it. And then again, read through it, not in ch- little things, but read through it in paragraphs and in its wholeness. Yeah. The moment you start taking it out of its paragraphs and its wholeness, and start to get dip some difficulty in there. But read the vision completely. because That's what it was being preached as was that that complete that complete vision thing. And then I would really encourage you to read in Revelation, just take notes with you, kind of start making a diagram of the different things that are going going on. So like, for example, I said yes on the sermon this last Sunday, I talked about the word conquer. Conqueror is used multiple times in the book of Revelation. This concept of that those who are conquerors uh, they'll have an amazing heritage at the end. So, kind of read throughout Revelation and understand what does the word conqueror mean in each context, therefore what does it mean in, in the whole of Revelation.
0: Alright. I want to uh, point to a a line from J.I. Packer here on page 263 for any of you that have the book. Um, he makes a comment, uh, this happens to be in the chapter on hell, which we haven't talked about a lot yet. Um, he says this, all receive what they actually chose. And what he's talking about here is their eternal um, their eternal destination, in essence. So, what he's kind of getting at um, is that whether people end up in heaven or hell, that they, they're responsible for that. Um, what I thought when I read that is, do people actually choose to go to hell? And if so, how does this play into what we talked about um, well, we've, we've talked about one point, and that is election. Um, I saw maybe, I was trying to play out, see if there's a little contradiction there to say that somebody chose hell, when in fact we talk about election and, and we think that God is the one that's that's done the choosing and God has done the saving. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's really to
1: partly show the justice of God, that God is just and granting that judgment to someone. And people choose hell in the sense that they are um, completely responsible for their actions. Mm-hmm. So they, they're they under a condemnation, or we're under condemnation or the wrath of God because of our disobedience to God's revealed law and God's um, commands to us. And so we choose, we bring about God's, God's wrath by um, walking out that life of disobedience, which begins by... Um, not trusting in the, not trusting in Him, um, so we break the very first commandment: "You shall have no other gods before Me," and that's a, that's a choice that we're responsible for. And we do that. Um, someone might not say, "Well, I didn't choose to not honor God," but they really chose to not honor God by the choice they were making to seek comfort, peace in something else. so that mm-hmm. you, people do choose hell by their personal responsibility for choosing to um, seek out a different God.
2: And that gets back to our discussion last week and a little bit at our at when we had our last roundtable of this idea of 100% God's responsibility, 100% human responsibility, and how does that nonsensical statement make sense in the world today, and, and it's hard to do that. I think Jay Packard, in a bunch of his works, talks about that concept, and I think that applies keyly to what Richard is discussing now of this just dichotomy that doesn't, doesn't seem like a dichotomy at all, and it's important to think about that.
0: All right. Well, I want to make sure we leave time for one particular question. Um, so maybe I'll ask you for a. I wanted to throw this at you and maybe get a quick, quick response if possible, because um, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about hell yet. Um, and and first of all, you know why why is there hell? And more specifically, is why is it necessary, or why is it just true? That those who are not in Christ will be punished for eternity, as opposed to what some would call more annihilationism, which would be the fact that um, those people won't be living with God in heaven for eternity. The alternative being they'll just won't exist anymore. Um, why why not that versus the the fact that we see in the Bible that there is an eternal punishment in hell?
1: Well, I want to go back to first, why the hell, um, why, 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 why uh, he- why <laughs> hell, Why <laughs> uh, careful uh, over there, why the <laughs> <a> hell thing, <laughs> uh, family show here thing, um, well, when you guys start with the, the assumption slash the revelation of God's holiness, the fact that scripture reveals that God is holy, and the fact that God is holy demands that anything unholy is outside of his presence, um. His, and this is why I talked a little bit in the sermon yesterday, is that a lot of times we view the absence of evil as the greatest gift of heaven. Well, the absence of evil is a byproduct because the presence of God necessitates the absence of evil. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the holiness of God necessitates the wrath of God for, for unholiness. And and so therefore, that brings about God's wrath. And the fact of it remains is that we are all under condemnation, the Bible teaches us. Until we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are under condemnation. So for those who are outside of Jesus Christ um, at the time of death, they remain under condemnation. They remain under God's act wrath, wrath, uh, of wrath, which is just um, hard to swallow to think that there's loved ones and, and friends and people we don't even know. They're under God's wrath because they're not in Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches, we believe that the Bible teaches that that wrath continues um, in, in in now into the second death, where they're they're placed into to hell.
0: Okay. All right.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think an interesting line if you look at 261 in the book, um, the paragraph there starts the concept of hell is of a negative relationship to God and experience, not of His absence, so much of His presence in wrath and displeasure. I think I think that that's sort of the key statement about hell because. It's hard to swallow, but it, it, it it's true. And and if you read the paragraph above that, Packard lays out um, the Scripture verses that back right into that powerful statement of saying, you know, a lot of people take comfort to say, well, you know, hell is just absence of God. Don't worry about it. Well, um, no, it, it's not really the absence of God. It's God's wrath based upon the judgment like we talked yeah. about. There's it's, different
1: views of, of what Scripture teaches on hell. You know, there's the one view that um, those who are not in Christ simply um, are annihilated at, at when Jesus returns, which means that they no longer exist, so they're no longer under the active punishment of God, no longer aware of the wrath they're undergoing. Mm-hmm. The other position is is that they are aware, um, they feel the pain, they know the pain as they undergo God's continual wrath mm-hmm. and God's continual um, punishment. So There's some different things, and I'd encourage you to look at the J.I. Packer book as he looks at some of those some of those issues
0: okay um well as we move to kind of wrap up here um again continue to ask questions if if you have some we can keep the chat going um after we're kind of off the air here we can address them at a later time um just in conclusion uh derek i'll i'll send this to you first um i'll just talk about heaven and hell judgment things like that let's get practical for a second and say what does that mean for us right now in this life? How big of a factor is that? How much should that be on our mind? Should we be obsessing over it? Should we not be? Just uh, give us some thoughts on that, if you would.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's important, and and I think this comes a little bit out of Richard's sermon on Sunday, some of his practical applications. But I'll let him speak to that um, when he gets a second to talk. But what I want to what I want to think about a little bit is we as Christians should should be not worried about. Heaven and hell, in the sense that, you know, I always have to worry about, am I going to take a wrong step and end up on the wrong side of the line? Mm-hmm. I think that our assurance and salvation comes through Christ's blood and that He died for us, and that even though we may not have a full understanding of what the afterlife is going to look like, either in the instance when I die or when Christ returns, that we have hope in the act that Christ died and His blood washed me clean. And so if I focus on that and know that, then my assurance of my salvation through that work that He did, not I did, is something that I do need to focus on and maintain and say, that is what I'm looking forward to, that is where I'm going, that is my hope, and and worry about nothing else. Because truly, in, in the end, it, it doesn't matter whether or not I get to ride a tractor in heaven, but what matters is that I'm going to be with Christ Jesus in heaven. Mm-hmm. And that's the important part to focus on for us as Christians. And and that really is what strives um, everything that we do, is that we're going to glorify God in that one day that we will be with God, know God, be a part of God, and I think that that strives evangelism today, strives how you serve. Everything that we look at and what we do today has got to be focused on being with God in the end. And that's where we need to maintain that um, that idea versus you know worrying about crossing the line or ending up in the lake or those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I think that we should be
1: absolutely obsessed with eternal heaven. And an obsession with an eternal heaven uh, is only going to bring about the best earthly citizens possible. Because the eternal heaven is um, God's kingdom in fullness in the sense that there's going to be complete justice, there's going to be complete peace. And if when we understand the eternal heaven as the restoration of creation back to which it was intended to be, we understand eternal heaven to be that way, then we now understand Christ's command to seek first the kingdom of God, which means to seek that we help, to, we move, we, we obey Jesus Christ. We don't bring about God's kingdom. God can only do that. But by being obedient to Jesus... We're his agents. We're his instruments for reflecting that kingdom to the world. And so we should be so obsessed with that future kingdom that what we want to do is we want to reflect that kingdom to the universe around us. That we want to seek justice right now because we know that's the kingdom God desires. Not that we can bring about that kingdom because that's the act of God but that because we're obedient to Jesus Christ I want to see that justice happen right now. So I'm going to stand up for innocent life. I'm going to stand up for the downtrodden. Um, not only that, but I'm also going to have the perspective that because of this eternal kingdom, um, evangelism, which is a big word which simply means the proclamation of the good news of Jesus, that matters a great deal. thing. And so I'm going to be focused on that. An obsession with that eternal kingdom is going to move us to be really good citizens right
2: now, because we're going to be obsessed with God's kingdom, God's ways. So I I think we got a good question in the chat room and something good to sort of talk about here at the end and I think this is common in culture today Mm -hmm. is that if I came to Christ because I'm afraid of hell instead of wanting to be a follower am I really saved?
1: It's a good good (laughs) question. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, One, and I hate to play with words like this thing that if one uh, has been born again, regenerated which means that um God has forgiven them, but by the Spirit of God they professed faith in Jesus Christ. And what brought that about was God's working through revealing um truth about God's wrath and God's um holiness. Um I believe that ultimately that, that can lead to this um desire more desire for God, more desire for um for Jesus. Um but I would really encourage somewhat if if um if they have no passion for God Himself, mm-hmm. if they have no real interest in Jesus, although they they're like, I just don't want to go to hell. So um but they have no interest in Jesus, I'd really encourage you. Um that might be fruit of a deeper problem. That you actually um may not be saved. Um you're simply um trusting in something um to get you out of something, but rather you haven't truly entered into this new relationship of what you were created for. Salvation is really entering into a new relationship a new position towards god so um, as far and, and the first commandment is love the lord your god with all your heart thing yeah, right, you know,
0: that, and, i was just going to make that comment it i mean it it's it has to be more about loving god
2: than about fearing hell and that's yeah. that's the bottom line so when i don't even think i don't even think i think lo- i think that's important but i don't even think that that's a to me that's almost a mute point because i think if you are truly transformed by the power of christ yeah. then that's a that's a fruit of the regeneration, that you love God. Like, I think mm-hmm. if you're just coming to church because you fear hell, I would say that Scripture speaks that that's not regeneration. I mean, I think that that any example that we see of somebody being having repentance of their sin and being regenerated by the power of Christ is not sitting and doing what they're doing because they're scared to go to hell. Mm-hmm. And I think that's common in culture today to sort of be gentle on that topic. But I want to be clear. I think that a regenerated heart is totally different than just being scared of going to hell. And, and I, that could be part of it, maybe. But I think that, that loving God is, is part of being regenerated, and that, and that wanting to be obedient to that comes from regeneration.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we've been all over tonight. It's been a great chat, talking about heaven, talking about hell, talking about the judgment seat. We've speculated a great deal tonight. Hopefully that speculation has been based every time off of revelation that we find in God's Word. Uh, when I say Revelation, I don't mean necessarily the book of Revelation, but what God's Word said, but it reveals to us. And uh, we'd encourage you to dig into God's Word during the week, uh, read it systematically, read it often, and uh, encounter the living God each and every day. So I want to thank you for joining us this week on Monday, uh, July 15th. We've got to give away our book, and so we're giving away the book Heaven Tonight by Randy Alcorn. Tonight's winner is we've got one, two, three, four, five, six people in line. I need you to choose a number one through six, uh, Mr. Anderson. Number one through six. Got it right here. Two. Two. Our winner is Gary Saxhog. Gary Saxhog, you are the winner of the book Heaven. Send me an email at rich at kingofglory. S. I'm gonna put my email in the chat room. Send me an email and we'll get the book delivered to you, ASAP in the next two days. Um, so Gary Saxhog, congratulations. You are the winner of the book, heaven an absolutely fabulous book. Lots of good detail in there. Um, so thanks for joining us this week. We're really happy you'd give some time and you take some time and listen, watch, and I encourage you to tune in next week, send in your questions, make comments. Let's dig into God's word together each and every week. Hope you're having a great week. Don't forget to join us next week for the free giveaway of 101 questions (laughs) to ask before you get engaged. Have a great week. Thanks, guys. Bye.